it's the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome everybody back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh, I'm the producer of the program, and with me as always is Mr. Odd, John Chalkowski. Well, hello everyone. So today, we're going to talk about a tragedy in Pittsburgh history, one that most have forgot or never even heard of. And uh, that's a shame. That's exactly why I wanted to record this episode about this incident, uh, just because so little know about it. I've posted this on my page on Facebook, and and uh, every time I do, you know, on the anniversary, uh, which was uh, on July, uh, late July of 1877, uh, the, uh, the response is always fascinating to watch, uh, just how many people had no idea that this even happened in our area and, uh, and the extent of the damages caused by what people call the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. So now, the Railroad Strike of 1877, I wouldn't think, uh, you know, anything other than that, right? But the title of this article I'm going to read you really gets into the story. It's much more tragic and much more bizarre <laughs> than I ever thought. The The main thing to get out of this is, uh, and kind of put in perspective, that the Civil War just ended 10 years prior. People were looking to, you know, get jobs and do things, uh, you know, whatever they could do, and a, and a good, easy job to get would be working on the railroad. There was a large employment uh, of the railroads all across the United States, but especially here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, this was like the Amazon of the day. Yeah. This was really taking off the railroad, the success of how the railroads helped (laughs) the Union win the Civil War. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, just like Amazon, uh, they weren't exactly happy with uh, their employees' wages. And uh, that's exactly what caused this event to happen. Now... When I say that, uh, the corporations and the railroad businesses were getting so much money, so many millions of dollars in that time period when the average you know, weekly salary could be you know, $100 max. And uh, meanwhile, the guy up top is getting a million dollars a week. So it's kind of like the disparity between the, uh, the poor and the rich was extremely high back then. And uh, this all led up to an event which, kind of, uh, which broke out across the country, not just in Pittsburgh, but... Uh, we're going to talk about what happened here in Pittsburgh. That would be with the title of the Pittsburgh Commercial Gazette reported on July 23rd of 1877 in a headline, There Will Be Blood, Arson, and Riot. To, uh, Intriguing. I had to read that, right? And here we go. So the country at, at that time period, you know, after the Civil War, was recovering from the Panic of 73, which was brought on in part by overbuilding of the railroads. As many companies went bankrupt, they dragged down the banks that had invested heavily on them. So a part of the cost-cutting effort, the Pittsburgh Railroad announced a 10% wage reduction in June of 1877. That was followed in July with a plan to reduce employment by doubling from 18 to 36 the number of cars that would be available on Pittsburgh freight trains. Which means that trains now could do twice the work than they used to and they needed less, you know, half the employees. Mm-hmm. On July 19th, Pennsylvania engineers, conductors, and brakemen walked away from the proposed double-headed train idea. Uh, when the railroads found that the workers were willing to uh, work for them, strikers stopped them from operating the equipment. So Pennsylvania governor called out Western Pennsylvania National Guard troops to this event, but officials realized that local citizen soldiers would not be reliable enough. Over 600 soldiers from Philadelphia arrived around 1 o'clock on July 21st. And they faced the crowd already the thousands and growing each hour. 
The delay in the arrival of troops caused the hope to be entertained among the stripers that the attempt to clear the tracks was not made that afternoon, the Post-Gazette reported on July 23rd. It wasn't until about 5 p.m. that about half the soldiers of Philadelphia National Guard units moved in, walking down the railroad tracks from 28th Street towards downtown Pittsburgh, with strikers blocking their every way. Someone in the rear of the crowd commenced throwing stones, said the Gazette. Some accounts also state that a shot was fired from the mob into the troops. Statements also conflict as to whether any order was given to fire or not from the, from the crowd. However, what made the story the craziest story, right, is that after they were provoked, the National Guard here in Pittsburgh, uh, by, you know, throwing rocks or whatever the case may be, uh, the soldiers shot back into the crowd and spectators all along the hills. Uh, the quote from the paper itself it says, The hillside was black with people, and the bullets took fearful effect among them. Mrs. E. Keener, who was standing on the hillside with a baby in her arms, was struck by a bullet, which killed her child and inflicted a severe wound upon her herself. A laborer who was on his way home from work while walking up the hill with his tin bucket in his hand shot in the back of the head. <laughs> okay. Um, where it gets crazy is... Uh, <laughs> Thinking that that wasn't enough, they brought Gatling guns with them, oh and they opened them up on the crowd. They opened fire what? on the crowd here in Pittsburgh that was gathering to protest these railroad you know, uh, wage reductions. Uh, down currently where Penn Station is today, that exact same railroad station, uh, the previous incarnation of it was in that same exact spot. And uh, this also happened here. While the crowd was momentarily panic-stricken and scattered by this calamity, the real effect was the inflame the passions of the strikers and their friends to the highest pitch of frenzy, the papers say. Around 7 p.m. that same night, the soldiers gave up their efforts to get downtown and withdrew into the Pennsylvania Roundhouse near 26th Street and Liberty Avenue. By the time the strikers had broken into several, by that time, several of the strikers had broken into the city's armories and had stolen their weapons. The besieged soldiers were under rifle and musket fire from early evening until the middle of the night. Then the mob got more serious, unsuccessfully sending several burning railroad cars down towards the roundhouse. But just before daylight, the rioters ignited an oil car and were able to get it close enough to the roundhouse to start it on fire. The soldiers withdrew, retreating east on what was then Penn Street to Butler Street, headed for the Allegheny Arsenal in Lawrenceville. Both sides continued to exchange fire as the crowd pursued the troops. On the march, five soldiers were killed, and one of the Gatling guns was twice fired into the pursuing rioters, the Gazette reported. General Robert M. Britton told our reporters that he could have killed hundreds of men, but his heart grew sick at the contemplation of the slaughters so he could cause, and he refrained. <laughs> right? So, wow. Um, the troops faced more problems when they arrived at the federal arsenal, you know, right on 40th Street in, in Lawrenceville. On arriving there, the General Britain knocked on the gate but was refused admission because the people who worked there were supportive of the railroad strikers. The soldiers retreated further east. Upon reaching the bridge that crosses the Allegheny River in Sharpsburg, they say, the mob stopped pursuing and the troops were molested no further. After the National Guard units from Philadelphia were driven out of Pittsburgh on July 22, 1877, the Pennsylvania Railroad property became the target of strikers, rioters, and looters who briefly took control of several neighborhoods within the city. Malicious. <laughs> okay. Um, now, 
it was so bad, uh, reportedly, uh, all these events that were happening here in Pittsburgh, that the United States government was worried that there would be another civil war. That would start here. <laughs> but between the classes this time, instead of, uh, you know, I mean, the over you know, what the civil war was about. Now, the civil war was about many things. It wasn't just about slavery. So it was about uh, uh, these railroad strikes were, were about the poor versus the rich. You know, who had the rights? Were you, did you have the right to unionize? There was no such thing as unions back in this time mm. period, uh, which is one of the reasons why unions came out of this. Um, the uh, From 7th Avenue along the railroad tracks to nearly 32nd Street in Lawrenceville, a distance of about two miles, the destruction of property is complete. Nothing remaining but indestructible materials. The Commercial Gazette reported this on July 24th. Passing along the line of the fire, the scene presented a most desolate one, indeed, calculated to vividly impress the beholder with the terrible results of a brief reign of a mob. <laughs> Near Grand Street and what is now 7th Avenue, a three-story freight office was gutted with an adjoining freight depot and Adams Express buildings that were in ashes. On the huge grain elevator, a conspicuous feature in the junction of Grant, Liberty, and Washington Streets at the time, only the lofty smokestack and fragments from the foundation walls remained. Nearly opposite, across the tracks, the Panhandle locomotive house stands roofless and windowless. And the Union Depot is a ragged mass of ruins. Near it, a few freight cars and one locomotive remain intact. One locomotive <laughs> right but thence eastward to the outer depot and for the three squares beyond nothing remaining the hundreds of freight and passenger cars but the wheels and other iron work while the loss of life had been great uh the gazette sought to end rumors of even higher casualties during the weekend of shooting and arson one report said that 15 philadelphia militiamen had burned to death in the railroad roundhouse when they were under attack by the rioters on July 21st to the 22nd. This is utterly devoid of truth, the Gazette reported. General Robert Britton said that when he left the roundhouse, he took every man with him, and it's pretty well understood that the general did not say so, that some of his men deserted. The next day's paper had an update on the missing militiamen. On Saturday evening, after the fire which so inflamed the people, quite a number of the soldiers boarded the first passenger train that went east. And when the conductor put them off, they begged and pleaded for permission to remain. They escaped detection when the train was searched by the riders of the 28th Street and by their taking off their coats and sitting in their shirt sleeves. Among the deserters was an officer who said it was if he ever got to Philadelphia alive, he would never be caught in such a scrape. When it wasn't shooting down rumors in other publications, the Gazette was not above offering its own thinly sourced story. General A.L. Pearson had commanded Pittsburgh militia units that had been replaced by what were believed to be more reliable Philadelphia troops. And while it was those out-of-town soldiers who had fired on strikers and bystanders, Philadelphia. So think about that. Philadelphians <laughs> came here to Pittsburgh and literally opened fire on us with a Gatling gun. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so, you know, those flyers, you know. Brotherly love. Yeah, exactly. The city of brotherly love. Um, uh, so while it was those out-of-town soldiers who had fired on strikers and bystanders, there was Pearson's home, General Pearson, that became a weekend target of the rioters. Mrs. Pearson was so terrified by the threats of the mob on Saturday and Sunday nights against her husband that her hair has said to have turned white. 
They also brought a coffin to her, it is said, and swore they intended to kill her husband and place him in it. And they just stuck it in his front yard. <laughs> Here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> While the Gazette described most of the victims in a line or two, a few re- did receive more attention. Lieutenant Dorsey Ash of the Keystone Battery and a teller for the First National Bank of Philadelphia is still in a very dangerous condition, the Gazette reported. He is badly wounded in the left leg and knee and is so low that the surgeons hesitate about amputating the limb for fear that the operation would kill him. The next day's paper contained bad news. Lieutenant Ash has died that afternoon. His wife and father arrived just in time to see him breathe his last, getting there about five minutes before his decease. His death is one of the saddest events connected with the saddest of all sad periods in the history of Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that's uh, the general story. And this is coming from straight quotes from the Post-Gazette and the Daily Post and the Commercial Gazette about an event that uh, almost caused a second civil war here well, in Pittsburgh. Now, Yeah, let's unwrap that a little bit because right. I see the similarity... No, it was totally a different way, but in our previous podcast when we talked about the uh, conflagration, mm-hmm. the uh, Great Fire of 1845. 45. Yeah. So this is, you know, uh, over 30 years later, but still, again, a different part of the city. You said a two-mile stretch is well, basically just wiped out so, except for the indestructible yeah, type it, thing. To give you a sense, here's the actual casualties and costs. Now, this is according to Wikipedia, okay? So, you know, trust this with a... Wikipedia trust, okay? I'd probably a general... General I, assumptions, yeah. right? Yes. So, uh, But it gives, gives you a good idea. An estimated 53 rioters were killed and over 109 people injured. Although many more probably were injured. They just didn't say because they didn't want to be involved with, you know, a, um, in, you know, their involvement in the riots themselves. They just didn't want to be involved. Eight soldiers were killed after it was all said and done and over 15 were wounded. And over 139 people were arrested. So, um, in total, the riots and fires destroyed 39 buildings in Pittsburgh, 104 engines, 46 to 66 passenger cars, and about 1,300 freight cars. And overall, two square si- uh, miles of the city were burned. <laughs> the, uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad themselves claimed that a loss of more than $4 million in 1877 money lost in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, so that gives you kind of a good idea of, um, just how the, you know, that the articles only tell you so much, uh, that what you really need to see is the lithographs that were published in Harper's Weekly that same uh, month, uh, which exists. And, uh, some of the earliest known photographs of Pittsburgh, there's maybe a few that date back to the 1860s and there's photos of people. But photos of locations and things like that, the earliest known photos you're going to find of Pittsburgh are of this event, of the 1877 railroad riots, where you'll see, like, the burned roundhouse. You'll see all the the, the wheels of the cars that are gone and, and just the devastation and the destruction of all Pennsylvania railroad property. Um, it's insane that somehow everyone forgot. And everybody and nobody knows the story. These people weren't just... You know, the workers, this was their wife and kids were being killed too. You know, just like that one story reported, a, a baby was shot, you know, in the back or whatever, and the mother was wounded. I mean, and they were just sitting on the hill watching what was going on. And this is what would happen back in the day is the, um, during the Civil War, when people have picnics, 
yeah. near the. Yeah, now I know obviously these people were a little bit more invested because they were the wives and children of of these protesters, but um, it just seems strange that people would have picnics and then oh sit yeah. down and then watch people get murdered. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're here for the show, you know. But the uh, think about how it would relate to today. So the, the important thing I take from all of these stories that we talk about is how do they relate to what's going on in today's world? You know, that that's you, you have to learn from history so you don't repeat it and and uh see what they did wrong, see what they did right, and see the outcomes and uh and, and how you can make it better. Uh it's kind of like the theme of what we do. And this is a prime example of number one, what not to do. <laughs> um and uh what it comes from supporting, you know, good enough wages for your employees of the railroad. Uh, to how to not settle a riot, um, like for example, calling in the national guard and uh, to come in and, and open fire on a crowd. Um, it's not exactly a uh, a thing, but it, it, you do see a continuing theme throughout Pittsburgh history, right? You know, next comes Frick and the the Homestead Steel Strike, right in the eighteen nineties. So, and that's you know another twenty five years after this event. You know, national guard are called in once again. Well, that was uh, Pinkertons. Yeah, in the Pinkertons. Yeah, exactly. So it's like uh, this theme of kind of quelling the, the uh, force of the riots, you know, or solving your problems with violence instead of democracy. Um, instead of having a conversation about it, you know, they just go to fight. And um, both sides are, are to blame, there's no doubt. But it's the, uh, you know... You can see how that's progressed and how if you do want to get something together, you stick together and um, and try to get it done as a group, you know. And Well, it seems that the people in charge believe they can strong arm the uh, workers into backing down. And, you know, in these cases, the workers aren't having it because this is their livelihood and they'll go to extreme measures um, of violence. Yeah, I mean, and to think about how little they were making already. And then to get a 10% wage reduction and doubling the work for everybody, too, at the same time, you know, instead of an 18, make it a 36 cars. Um, you know, it's a prime example of how not to treat an American worker um, because that is what's going to happen, you know, if you, if you keep it so low, you know, for so long. Yeah, I, it kind of boils over. It boils you over, can, yeah. You can handle it for so, for so long and, yeah. and then at some point there's a, the powder keg. Well, right. Explosion. And just reading about this, listening to this, and then if you've read the Battle of Homestead, I mean, these were battles. There were, <laughs> you hear battles. there were people coming on shore uh, in Homestead and that the Pinkertons were across the river and making their way. And right. It plays out like a military battle. Yeah, that's exactly how they treated it back in the day. Um, now, it's, you know, it's funny is Pittsburgh has kind of a track record with that exact same thing. Same type of thing was used during the Whiskey Rebellion. You know, all the way back in the 1790s, when the U.S. government used its own force against its own people for the first time. Um, you know, Americans. Um, we'll did, have to do one on that. Yeah, we will. Uh, you know, there was a guy named Father Cox who was the priest of St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church downtown in the Strip District. And uh, he was an iconic figure and uh, deserves his own show. You know, well, he had his own show here on KDK. In fact, you know, the very first church service, you know, but he decided to, um, you know, fight for the the underdogs, you know, and and look out for the the workers, and and he 
organized a thing called the Bonus Army and marched to Washington, D.C. Uh, this is during World, right after World War One, and uh, marched from Pittsburgh to World War, you know, to Washington, D.C. And uh, same thing happened there, <laughs> right? And where this time it was tanks and Douglas MacArthur, you know, leading the charge against the United against veterans of the United States uh, World War One. So that's the Bonus Army. Pretty sad time in American history, but it shows goes to show you that. Uh, these types of things have a continuing uh, track record, you know, for all the way back Whiskey Rebellion, all the way to till now, um, you know, and what the dangers are from that, and and how you can learn from an event like this railroad riots. And uh, by the way, there was no solution to the railroad riots. I was going to ask, what was the <laughs> yeah. result? Nothing. In fact, they did not get a raise. Everyone just basically it was so tragic, and riots happened in Chicago and and Cincinnati and like all over. It wasn't just Pittsburgh. Uh, it really came to a foot at Pittsburgh, but it did happen across multiple cities. And uh, it was so bad for the workers because of what happened that uh, and, and this event, this tragic event, that there was nothing they did, and they did not get any raise, and they didn't, and just kept on going without them. It was like you know being replaced from a uh, you know with a kiosk, a touchscreen t- kiosk. Now there's nothing you can do about it. You know now we don't need you anymore. That's exactly what they did, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a, a pretty bad lesson, I guess, of what to learn from rioting, you know, back in those time periods and what that could get you, which was nothing. And um, it is important to see how it differentiates between the railroad riots, between the Carnegie Steel and like people like, you know, Westinghouse. And you can see like a giant difference in how all these different co- corporations treat their people and uh, when there you know, are strikes and, and how they settle these strikes is an important factor to discover uh, how, listery, you know, how history will look at you going forward because we'll be watching. <laughs> well, I think one of the craziest things is the visuals from that, from that riot is the rail cars coming down the road engulfed in flames. <laughs> yeah, being Can you imagine the being like you're – one of the soldiers or troops and let's hope they put a flag or something in the front of here it. Here comes you know? a <laughs> yeah. flaming train car. Covered in oil. Yeah. Into an explosive barn, you know, you're basically sitting in. Um the most fascinating thing, uh the thing that I always took from the story is every time I now go downtown to the you know, near the convention center where where the train station is, and you look at that building and you're like, Well, you know, of course that, that building is famous just for its rotunda, you yeah, know, and that people, people get married there. That's where they, exactly the people, you know, that's Pittsburgh is still spelled the old fashioned, you know, 1890, 1911 way in there <laughs> without an H. But the, uh, that building was built because the building that stood there before was burned down in this event. This is the event that burned down that building and then rebuilt on the same exact spot is the building that's there today. So every time I go there, I just kind of like look at that corner, right? And you're just like, wow, you know, and then like think about where 28th Street is from there. You know, you're at like 11th Street, kind of right where the Union Station is. So, you know, another 10 blocks down the road. Everything destroyed. Everything that happened there. Everything gone. All that part of the Strip District gone, you know, within a day. And and people killed. Uh, innocent people. Yeah, not strikers. You know, <laughs> these were uh, women and kids. Yeah. Uh, it's messed up. And uh, it's worthy of mentioning uh, because of that fact, you know, so these people didn't die in vain. You know, the, these people, 
still remain, na- you know, partially nameless, really. I mean, unless we spent the time and the effort to go look them up individually in those days' papers, you wouldn't even know their name. And these were somebody's parents, grandparents, you know, uh, mothers, fathers. And uh, it's why it's important to tell tragic stories like this or like any of the other ones that we do, like the floods and the fires and, you know, those natural events. Um, you know, if you don't talk about it, as if, it's as if nothing happened. And uh, that's our job is to remember. And oh, this is a pretty big thing that <laughs> yeah. we need to remember along with the fire. Yeah, everyone makes floods. a big deal about the Homestead Steel Strike, right, 1892. Make a big deal about the Railroad Strike of 1877 as well. That's what I'm saying. And, John, you want to announce a uh, new segment that we're going to do on the Oddcast every week. That's right. That's right. So, listeners, you do not go unnoticed. <laughs> and uh, we, we've, we've been getting a lot of listener mail recently. Um, and you could email me directly at oddpittsburgh at gmail.com or mrodd at oddpittsburgh.com or shoot me a message on Facebook or just pop up, you know, anywhere you can. Get a hold of me, uh, Twitter and Instagram. And we want to spend some time every week answering some of your questions on our show. Yeah, we want your odd questions. That's right, your odd questions. Give us the oddest ones, <laughs> right? And uh, while there's some, I, I try to directly answer every single question already. Uh, I want to give some of these more unusual ones, the odd ones, uh, a little time on the air. So get a hold of me, uh, Odd Pittsburgh. Uh, you can send a message to anywhere you find uh, you get your odd Pittsburghness, and uh, and we will respond on the show beginning next week. And we have lots of things in store, so make sure you get those questions in, and we'll address each and every single one of them. So until further ado, that's it for Pitt. <laughs>